Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for a spirit of revelation to be upon us this morning and a spirit of faith to rise up within us as we receive the revelation of the word so that we can then go and put your word into practice. And this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Of course, one of Caroline's greatest virtues is that for 56 years she's put up with me. (laughs) Only she knows what that means. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, last week we had Pastor Clive's video message about the series that is beginning of revealing Jesus as we see him revealed in Mark chapter 1 especially and of course all that follows from that. And this morning our subject as part of that course is the way that Jesus was sent by the Holy Spirit. Now, just before we get into the actual scriptures, we're going to follow these very closely this morning. We need to understand how to read and study Mark's gospel. All four gospels are different, uh, although the content of much of Mark is to be found in Matthew and Luke. But all of them are different in the focus and the way in which the truth is revealed. Mark's was the earliest of the Gospels to come into the form in which we have it now. And as you read Mark's Gospel, it seems to be just a very practical Gospel. It's a series of events from the life of Jesus, including a lot of healing and deliverance of people, but very little teaching, or that's as it appears. There's no Sermon on the Mount like there is in Matthew's Gospel. There's no Sermon on the Plain plain, as there is in Luke's Gospel. There's no long periods of explanation and teaching about the relationship between Jesus and the Father that you get in John's Gospel. And yet, Mark is very carefully crafted by the Holy Spirit to reveal the real nature of Jesus and his ministry. It's it's part of the Holy Spirit's genius. Because we will see that In the events that are explained, behind those events are the spiritual realities that undergirded the whole of the ministry of Jesus and the reason why the Father sent him. So I'm going to explain just some of those things to you this morning. So I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Now, this begins with understanding 
wilderness. We know that the first thing that the Holy Spirit did once Jesus had received the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit had come upon him after his baptism by John the Baptist, was that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and there he was tempted by the devil. Now the wilderness is a very practical desert place. Jesus was led into the desert. But of course the desert here stands for the spiritual desert that existed at that time. And God had raised up John the Baptist to be a voice in the wilderness, fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah 40, that he was to speak into this wilderness to prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. But of course, John's ministry did not have the ability or the capacity to actually turn the wilderness into a fruitful land, which also is the outworking of the prophecies in Isaiah. But Jesus came to fulfill those prophecies. He was sent by God for that very purpose. So the first thing that the Spirit does is to lead him into the wilderness because his whole ministry is going to be speaking to the spiritual wilderness of the time. Now, in a very small way, I mean, I'm not making any comparison with Jesus, but in a very small way I can understand this myself because this nation was in a spiritual wilderness in 1970 when the move of the Spirit began in my church in Luton. And I can remember right at the very beginning, God gave me a prophetic vision of standing on a beach. It was a long beach. You could, it went into the distance on, on either side and it was completely deserted. And I was standing there speaking to the sea. And the Lord said to me, you are speaking to the sea of unbelief that, ex that exists. And at present you can't see anybody else doing that. But I am raising up other people that you can't see to speak to that same sea of unbelief. And in due course you will meet many of them and you will see that I have been calling you each to do the same things. Well, as a result of what, let, let me make it quite clear, not as a result of what I was doing or what other people were doing, but as a result of what the Spirit was doing, the Spirit of God, the whole of the spiritual life of this nation began to be transformed. And it is in a totally, totally different place now than it was in 1970. But this was, was just the beginning. So I can understand Jesus being called by God to speak into this spiritual wilderness. Now, he had been anointed to do that. But the wilderness is where the enemy, the spiritual wilderness, is where the enemy has his influence. 
The whole world is under the power of the evil one. So right at the very beginning, the devil was going to come against Jesus to try to distract him from the very reason why the Spirit of God was sending him the ministry that he was being sent to fulfill. Now, uh, if we read what it says in Mark chapter 1, at that time, verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, Mark does not go into any detail, uh, as we read in Matthew and Luke, of the three temptations in particular that the devil leveled at Jesus. And so we're not going to go into those in detail. All of them were aimed at the, having the same effect, to try to get Jesus to use the anointing for his own benefit rather than for the purpose for which God had called and anointed him. What we have to understand is that Jesus is the Christ. And the word Christ, or in Hebrew, Messiah, means the anointed one. So Jesus could not begin his ministry. You remember when, uh, when uh, at the time of his birth, the angel said that he was to be called Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Jesus. Jesus was to be his name. But he was going to become the Christ, the anointed one because he could not fulfill the ministry for that, Jesus, that uh, the Father had for him until he had received that anointing. So for 30 years, we know that Jesus lived, and as far as we're uh, aware from the uh, revelation in Scripture, during that time he preached no sermons, he, he didn't heal anybody, he didn't deliver people from demonic powers, he waited for the Father's timing. And the Father's timing was when he would receive the anointing. Because the mission that God was sending his, his son on could only be fulfilled through the anointing. Jesus in the natural, even though in the natural he was sinless, Jesus in the natural could not fulfill the purpose that God had for him. It had to be through the anointing of the Spirit that came upon him. And what we have to understand is that these same principles are also true for us. So, in being sent into the wilderness, the spiritual wilderness of the world, not just the, the desert land, he was being sent into the devil's territory where the devil had sway, had influence. And so the devil woke up. What are you doing invading my territory? I want to distract you from this mission so that you do not fulfill what the Father, what God was sending you to do. Yeah. 
he failed. He, he tried to get Jesus to turn stones into bread because he was hungry after 40 days of fasting. But Jesus refused. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He tried to get him to do something spectacular by jumping, jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. Look what glorious thing you are able to do. Look how people will admire you for doing such wonderful things. Uh, he showed him the, uh, all the nations of the world in vision and said, I'll give you all these because all these nations were under the power of the evil one. They didn't belong to the devil, but he had influence in them all. Um, but Jesus, of course, absolutely stood against all three of these temptations, quoting the word of God on each occasion. So Jesus emerges from the wilderness, triumphant over the enemy. Although he's entering into the spiritual wilderness, the enemy's territory, the enemy is not going to be able to distract him, to divert him from God's purposes, or to prevent him from fulfilling those purposes. Now he calls some disciples to be with them, but we'll... We'll come back to that, to that in a moment. First of all, let's see what the nature of this ministry is to which Jesus was called that the Father was sending him to fulfill. Well, we read in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. So you see, what God is saying to us in the, in the whole way in which the, these truths are presented is the purpose of God was to turn the wilderness into the kingdom of God on earth. That the kingdom of God was going to invade this wilderness and transform this wilderness and transform the lives of many people who were at that time living in the wilderness and who subsequently would be living in a spiritual wilderness. Now, what Jesus said was of prime importance. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now within your reach. It's going to become possible for you to belong not just to the kingdom of the world, not just to this spiritual wilderness, but it's going to be possible for people to belong to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of heaven. Those two words, two, two um, names are interchangeable. Now, how was this to happen? Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is not only the forgiveness of sins, but turning your life over to God. A person has not repented until they have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Yes. So they're forgiven for their sins and they surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, to the ownership of their lives, to God. Only at that point can they become part of the kingdom of God, receive the gift of eternal life, receive the gift of salvation. So they repent, but they also have to believe who Jesus is. Not just a prophet, 
but the Son of God, the Son of God who gave his life for us to make it possible for us to become part of that kingdom. So Jesus gathers some disciples, which we'll come to in a moment. But what does he do? Well, it says in verse 21, they came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Jesus always went first to God's covenant people and then to those who were outside the covenant that he'd made with Israel. Paul, whenever he preached, did the same thing. Wherever he went, he went to the synagogue. In my own ministry, in the early years, I was preaching nearly all the time to the formal churches or to people who belonged to the formal churches and seeing thousands of people receive salvation because they'd only been religious and not spiritual people. Uh, and and uh, then, of course, uh, the ministry opened up. But it seems that this has always been God's purpose. You go to first those who, at least in name, belong to God, even though personal relationship with him may not be a reality in their lives. And the people were amazed at his teaching, it says in verse 22, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He, he was proclaiming, he was speaking at a totally different level. I know when, when my international ministry began, people used to say of me, we've never heard anybody preach with such authority. Nowadays, lots of people speak, speak with authority. But it was quite an unusual thing then. Now, I wasn't conscious of that. I didn't think, oh, I'm a man of authority and I'm speaking with authority. This is what other people were saying. But it's the same principle. And the reason why I keep referring to this is because I want you to understand that whatever was happening in Jesus is to be reproduced in us. Yes. 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 Amen. So even that authority was, by the grace of God, being reproduced in the early ministry of kingdom faith. So just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons recognized Jesus, although the religious people refused to. The demons know the truth, even though many who call themselves Christians deny the truth. But the demons have got no answer to the truth. What does Jesus do? He silences them. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Not be quiet if you don't mind. No, no, come on. Authority. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. An event. But what lies behind the event? This spiritual reality. Jesus has come to set people free from the devil and from every demonic power. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? 
He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Then it talks about the fact that Jesus was renowned for all the healing that he was doing. Uh, if you look at verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. He didn't want to be proclaimed. The truth about him was not to be proclaimed by demons, but by disciples. Hello? Okay. Now, what lies behind the reality of this practical thing? Many people being healed of diseases. Jesus came not only to set people free from the devil, he came to heal their lives, spiritually, as well as physically. What you've got to understand is that behind all these physical reality and the physical things were truly happening, but behind that, there is the spiritual meaning and significance of what Jesus was doing. So he had come to set people free from all the demonic powers. He'd come to bring God's total healing into their lives. Healing of spirit, healing of soul, healing of emotions, healing of relationships, healing of bodies, healing in every conceivable sense. Now, the first man that approached him for healing was somebody with leprosy. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Okay, here is a physical event that is happening in the natural realm. A man is physically being set free from leprosy. But you see, this is the next piece of revelation in the spiritual truth that is unfolding in this carefully crafted way in chapter 1 of Mark. How is this ministry of Jesus to establish the kingdom in the wilderness, how is this going to take place? What does it mean for people to be set free from the demonic powers and to receive the spiritual as well as the physical healing that God wanted for all his people? It begins with being made clean. That this speaks not simply of one man who had leprosy, but of the entire population that had spiritual leprosy. They were all unclean and needed to be cleansed. And Jesus came, as the scripture said, full of compassion, not full of judgment. I haven't come to judge, I've come to save. But how does that work of salvation begin? It begins by cleaning up the hearts and the lives. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. So the Holy Spirit convicts sinners 
of their sin, of their uncleanness, of their guilt, of their need of God, of their need of forgiveness. That's how the whole process begins. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus so that this uncleanness could be dealt with. Are you breathing? Okay. And this compassion of Jesus for the unclean, not the judgment. The religious people, the Pharisees, always stood in judgment upon the unclean. Jesus didn't stand in judgment upon them. He had compassion on them. And he wanted to set them free from the evil. He wanted to heal their lives, not just their bodies. He wanted them to have clean hearts. Are you with it? Okay, so if we were to go into chapter 2, and I just want to show you how this revelation continues to unfold. We come to the healing of a paralytic. So it says in chapter 2, so many were gathered there at this particular home that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get, to, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now here is another actual real situation that took place. But... Um, Mark puts all these things in the order, or the Holy Spirit really inspires Mark to do this because of this unfolding revelation. What does the uncleanness do in people's lives? It causes them to be spiritually paralyzed, spiritually ineffective. They cannot move and relate and walk spiritually. So although this man has a physical paralysis, the first thing that Jesus does is to give him a clean heart. Son, your sins are forgiven you. It's not just, well, perhaps the sin caused the paralysis or the paralysis was a punishment for sin. That's not what it's about at all. This is just explaining to us the nature of sin is to cause spiritual paralysis. And sinners have spiritual paralysis. They cannot understand the scriptures even. The the evil one has blinded them to the revelation of truth. So then, of course, uh, Jesus heals the man as well. And the, uh, the Pharisees were outraged that Jesus should actually pronounce the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know, now listen to this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now, the man is healed physically, But Jesus is saying his physical healing is the result of his spiritual healing first. Are you there? 
And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the fact that he's physically healed demonstrates that I have the authority to forgive sins and to heal people spiritually. What was he to say to the disciples later? Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That same authority was going to be given to believers. Then we have the calling of Levi. We'll come to him in a moment when we just talk about disciples. But um, there then comes actually a little chunk of teaching. As I say, there's not very much teaching in, in, in Mark. And this is all about, well, I'll read verse 21 of uh, chapter 2. No one sews a patch of unclean cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine and new wineskins. Okay, very practical, very practical. But what's the spiritual reality behind this? Well, if you're... If, the people are going to become part of the kingdom. They have to be set free from the devil. They have to be healed. They have therefore their lives to be cleansed. They have to be set free from the spiritual paralysis that has affected their lives so that they can then walk in the spirit, not just walk in the natural. But what this means is not that anybody is going to have an improved life but they have to have a new life, a completely new life. They have to be made entirely new and you cannot put the new on top of the old. You cannot even attach the new to the old. So what is here in embryo is the teaching that will come later that people have to die in order that they might then receive the new life to be actually crucified with Christ so that they can then become born again and become part of God's kingdom. But the teaching is there in, in embryo. Here, Jesus is making, you know, the people probably wouldn't have understood it all because he was speaking in parable, it says. And, and it's only those who, who gain spiritual understanding that could understand the parables. Well, we could go on and on. It's, it's quite interesting, isn't it? How, but if we just go on to the beginning of chapter 3, we'll just look at one more incident. Uh, at another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So what's all this about? Well, Jesus is doing this on the Sabbath day. And he's saying, religion withers people. You see, there's the spiritual reality behind the physical event. Religion 
withers people. It doesn't set them free. They know the form, but they don't have the power. That what God wants is for people to be made completely new. You know, I've had people say to me uh, over the years, why should I repent because I'm an Anglican? Now, they were perfectly serious. They thought, well, if I just, you know, go to church regularly as a good Anglican, I'm going to be saved. But many of them were not born again. They, they had never repented. They've never come to personal faith. Praise God, I saw many of, the, many of them transformed as they came to personal faith. But you see, just going to church doesn't save you. Just being part of a religion doesn't save you. Amen? It has to be this personal faith in God, in Jesus, and in what he has accomplished. So you can see, and we could, we could go on and on. Um, if there was time, I would take you on to, because uh, the, 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 the first, the, or the next bit of teaching, really, that Jesus comes to in chapter 4 is the parable of the sower. Uh, and, and all that is sort of summing up what, what he's said before, that the seed of the word falls where it's rejected uh, by those who are represented by the path. And then there are those that just have um, a very uh, superficial response. Like people in the crowd who came to Jesus, they got healed, but they never became disciples. You know, they were rejoicing at what God had done, but when the challenges of faith came, there was nothing there. There was no depth of root in their lives. And other people who, unlike the first disciples, they tried to drag their nets with them. So there were other things going on in their lives, like the weeds that were choking the good, the good seed. But then, of course, there's the good soil, like everybody who belongs to kingdom faith. And, and, and what happens? They experience multiplication. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what was sown. See, this is, this is God's purpose for your life. That everybody here sees at least 30 at least, that's the minimum, 30. 30 lives are going to be impacted by your life. There's going to be 30 people in heaven because of you existed. Doesn't mean you're going to be an evangelist, but you are going to have a determining effect upon at least 30 or 60 or 100 or even more. Amen. Okay, so then we just begin to sum things up. Let's talk about the call of the disciples. The first, the first ones were these four fishermen uh, that um, Jesus called. And he gave them this promise, I'm going to make you fishers of men. 30, 60, 100. It's all going to be focused on your life impacting the lives of others. Now, Jesus knew that that could only happen if they became men of the Spirit in the way that the anointing of God had come upon him for his ministry, the same Holy Spirit, the same life, the same love, the same power would come upon them. Not until after Jesus had returned to heaven. But that same life and that same love and that same power would go with them when Jesus sent them out. But what they, what they um, had to face right at the beginning is that they couldn't take their nets with them. 
They couldn't take the things that they'd been holding on to as their security, as their provision, as whatever, whatever, whatever those nets would signify. They could not take them with them. They had to be set free in order to walk with Jesus in the way that he would lead them. Now, a disciple is not someone who simply follows. A disciple in scripture is one who wants to be like his master. So what, what we see unfolding in these scriptures that we've looked at this morning is that God the Father was sending Jesus with the anointing so that eventually a group of people would continue his ministry in the world as his body with the same anointing, with the same life, the same love and the same power because they were called by God to impact the lives of other people that still are living in the wilderness. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon every born-again, spirit-filled believer to enable him or her to be part of that great mission. We also saw in these chapters that Jesus called Levi, or Matthew, who was a tax collector. Tax collectors were outcasts, they were crooks, they were criminals, they cheated the people, robbed them in so many ways. But Jesus was demonstrating it didn't matter the nature of the former life, when you become a believer in me, you become a disciple with an entirely new life that bears no relation to your former life. You are a new creation. You are a new person. Hallelujah. Now, all that we're reading about is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You see, Jesus was not aiming at those who felt they were comfortable and had everything they need, but those who appreciated they were living in a spiritual wilderness. The first of the, of the parables, uh, of the, um, uh, what do you call them, in Matthew 5, uh, blessed are the, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, in other words, blessed are those who know their need of God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus came and he preached good news to the poor. Hallelujah. We live in a very wealthy area. So far, kingdom faith has reached, I won't say the poor because none of us are poor. We will have the poor with us. But when I think of all the wealthy people around here and how we could use their wealth for the, for the good of the kingdom, we need to see a lot more wealthy people coming into the kingdom as well as other people like ourselves. 
Is that okay? Hello? We need to have faith for that. Okay. But <clears throat> he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You see, what's God speaking about? Just things happening at the practical level. No, 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 no. He's talking about the spiritual reality. You see, and what you, you can read Mark's gospel and think, oh, this is one healing, then another healing, and you miss the message. The whole message, you see, is the message of, of the gospel, but it's being preached through events rather than through words. Are you getting it? And you can only really understand Mark's gospel or get the full meaning of Mark's gospel when you appreciate that. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from, the, from darkness for, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. <coughs> Jesus quoted this, of course, but he stopped there. He didn't say, uh, and the day of vengeance for our God, because the day of vengeance has not yet come. It will come, but it has not yet come. Uh, and we are now in the season of God's favour. Amen, of his grace. So, what? To comfort all who mourn. Why? Because the prophecy in Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Give strength to them, give spiritual strength to them, not just heal them physically, not just set them free from demonic powers. Uh, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Is he talking about physical things here? No, he's talking about the spiritual reality. That those that have been living in the wilderness, that have been living in ashes, amen, they're, they're going to be crowned with beauty. Hallelujah. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Amen. People wandering around in the wilderness are all sad and they're all complaining about this, that and the other and they don't know how to cope with this and they can't deal with that. And, and God comes along with the oil of gladness so that people rejoice in the Lord always and give thanks in all circumstances because this is the will of God for them and because they know the Lord is present in all their circumstances. Amen. The spirit of praise instead, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Hallelujah. Can you see that what is happening in the ministry of Jesus is the outworking of these prophetic scriptures? And can you see that this is what God is causing to begin to outwork here? And this is why it's so important for us to focus on the ministry of Jesus for these next few weeks uh, so that we can then see that God's... Listen to me. Are, are you all listening still? Yes. Well, well, listen to me. A disciple... God, God calls us all to be disciples. Yes. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, yes? And a disciple is one who wants to be like his master. Now, in what way are to be like, like the master? Well, like him in character, yes? Love, joy, peace, compassion. Mm -hmm. All the things that we associate with the character of Jesus. 
yes, 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 yes. But being a Christian is not just a process of character reform. To be like him in ministry as well as in character. So that the character gives birth to the ministry because out of the character comes the authority in the ministry. Are you there? Are you there? Hallelujah. So God is making us a people that are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. He's going to cause his authority to grow in us and among us so that we have a greater impact on the wilderness of Horsham, of West Sussex, of the 25-mile radius. Amen. And the devil can't stop us. And we will see exactly what we've read this morning. We will see the kingdom of God being extended. We will see the lives of people being cleansed. We will see those with spiritual paralysis being healed and set free. We will see religious people that are just withering spiritually coming alive with the life and the love and the power of God. We shall see these things. And at the same time, the physical things will happen. People will be physically set free from demonic powers. They will be physically healed. They will be physically set free. But behind all of that, there is the spiritual reality. So we need to be thankful for these weeks when we can get into the Word of God in Mark's Gospel because it is so practical, isn't it? But we can see that all the practical comes from the spiritual reality that lies behind the practical. Shall we all stand? Oh, hallelujah. I'm happy. Anybody else here happy? Now, Lord, we thank you for the anointing that came upon Jesus. Thank you that he is the Christ. Thank you that he is the Messiah that he is Son of God. Thank you, Lord, that you sent him into the wilderness, that the wilderness might become a fruitful garden. We thank you, Lord, that even though the demonic powers recognized him and the religious people didn't recognize the significance of who he is, that the enemy was unable to prevent him from fulfilling what he was sent to accomplish. We thank you, Lord, that he raised up ordinary people to become fishers of men, that he took people like Matthew, who was a bit of a disaster area spiritually, but turned him right around and made him a mighty apostle of truth and faith. Gave us one of the Gospels. So we thank you, Lord, 
for that transforming life and power. We thank you for those with spiritual paralysis that we're going to be set free. And we're going to see, we're going to see people with physical paralysis set free as well. And thank you, Lord, we're going to see those with withered arms through religious and through just traditional ways of thinking. Thank you, Lord, their lives are going to be transformed as they become people of faith. So we thank you, Lord, that you have led us through repentance and faith. And in these last months, you have been deepening that repentance and strengthening that faith so that we shall see your kingdom come and your will being done here on earth as in heaven. Come on, let's give the Lord a great big thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, just one last thing. Because Jesus was to say to the disciples before he returned to heaven, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's what makes us an apostolic people. We might not all be apostles, but we're an apostolic people. Sent by God to fulfill his kingdom purposes. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord a great shout of praise. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.